At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. Good morning, everyone. Yes, we are in Psalm 40. Uh, I would encourage you to go there in your devices and your Bibles because it is a long and awesome psalm, and we're going to be reading it together. Um, Anna's passion for the Lord and for the church have inspired me for longer than we've been married. And so I am very excited that now the church family gets to experience and benefit from her many spiritual gifts as she begins this ministry work. Um, so keep us all in prayer. Psalm 40, verse 1. Oh, let's pray first. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are humans, which means we need purpose and meaning. And there is no greater purpose in our lives than to testify by word and deed to the greatness of our God. So Lord, use your word today to increase our testimony and our conviction to keep on testifying, especially as the world's bent on silencing us. So Father, be with me, give me clarity. Be with the congregation. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put on a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. 
You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. The word of the Lord. Our family has always placed a high value on eating dinner together. This is something that we started when Anna and I got married and we continued and guarded with even more zeal since we've had children. Now, of course, it's been more difficult now that our older ones have work schedules and so making it all work, but we still protect it and we fight for it because it's one of the practices that defines who the Morales family is. As a matter of fact, I believe that after our children are long gone from the house, if I still have life on earth, when I think of our family, I'm going to think back to that picture of the six of us gathering around the dinner table, holding hands, saying a prayer, reaching for the salt, you know, delighting in the colorful plates, you know, before us, God's provision and Anna's love and creativity and connecting with one another day after day, year after year. Dinner together is a ritual for us. It's central to who we are as the Morales family. Our children know it, and they know it because we do it, not so much because we talk about why we do it. This series, Assembly Required, and the one that begins next week, Built for More, are allowing us to ask why we do two of the most important practices that we can have as Christians, the Sunday gathering and our life groups. If you grew up in church, then you knew that that's just what your family did week in and week out. If you did not grow up in church like I did not, then now that you are coming to faith, you are learning that the Christian church has gathered together for 2,000 years now. But here's the thing. Why? Why do we gather? Oftentimes we simply assume its value, like eating together, like taking a daily shower, but we don't reflect consciously, methodically, communally on these things. And so we're taking the longer part of the summer to ask the question, why do we gather together on Sundays? Why we Why do we gather together in groups so that we can provide you with theological and biblical foundations so that you know why that should be a priority in your life and you'll keep it a priority? And so why do we gather? And the answer has been that we gather to delight in God's word. We gather to confess our sin, but also to receive the cleansing and joy that come through the blood of Christ. We gather to praise our God, particularly in singing. And today, we're going to see that we gather to testify to God's deliverance. We gather to testify to God's deliverance. This is such an important part of who we are as a church. This is one of the most important things that we do as the church family. As a matter of fact, it's the one thing that we could not do when we were worshiping from home during quarantine testifying to God's deliverance, to God's goodness. Now, if you have children at home, you're still able to testify to them right there from the home, but we're going to see that Scripture calls us to such a more expansive kind of testimony. And so, here's our guiding question for today. What do we testify to when we come together on Sundays? What are we testifying to when we come together on Sundays? First, we testify that God is our rock. God is our rock. Look at verse 1 one more time. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So look at how the psalm writer is situating his struggle. 
He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Another translation would be, I waited and waited for the Lord. There is a deep longing. And I'm sure that many of us, perhaps all of us, have felt the weight of this. You've been in a place where you've been either alone or destitute or wanting something that has not yet come to fruition. And so you're waiting and waiting on God and it feels long and God seems distant. And our patience wears thin. That's where the writer was. But then he says, he heard my cry. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and the miry bog. The pit of destruction, the bog. You know, these are two metaphors for death. That's how the writer feels. He feels that he was dying or about to die. And oftentimes when we've been in a trial for a long time, we feel like we might as well die. But then he says, God pulled me out and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And rather than going back to his old self, he says that God put a new song in his mouth and it's a song of praise to God. It's a new beginning. And then he says, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I want you to see two things. When the writer says that God pulled him out and set his feet upon the rock, It's evocative. This image is evocative of many other Psalms that say to us, make this confession. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Psalm 18.2. God alone is my rock. Psalm 62.2. The Lord is upright. He's my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 92.15. After we go through a trial... God becomes more so our rock. God sets our feet more firmly upon him. Him. Now think about a friend of yours. You've been through thick and thin. You've had to work through words that were misconstrued. You've had to work through jealousy, through anger. But after all those trials, on the other side of it, the friendship is not the same that it used to be before. But rather, if the friendship endured, now it's going to be stronger, sweeter, more trusted. Something like that is what happens between us and God when we find ourselves in the pit and we call out to God and he delivers us. We're going to feel that our feet are more secure, that our steps are holding on because the rock on which we stand is our God. That's what the writer is saying to us. And so don't lose heart in the waiting. Don't lose heart in trial. In the waiting, we are vulnerable. But in the waiting, we're also malleable. And God can shape us in his likeness. And so this is part of what we testify to, that God is a rock. The second thing that I want you to see is that when he says that there's this new song, there's a new song that God put in his mouth, that the result of that song is that many will see and fear and put their trust in God. So God comes into our lives and he reveals his goodness to us and he makes us stand more firmly in who he is. And the result of that is that we testify to God's greatness and others see our testimony and they, they put their trust in the Lord. Now, there are unbelievers who object to this and they'll say something like, if God is God, why does he have to be praised? Is he like, is he needy? Is he like an insecure man that needs others to often tell him how great he is? Let me say two things about this. We praise God to deepen our joy, okay? We praise God to deepen our joy. 
when you like a restaurant, like Wahlburgers, anyone like Wahlburgers? Let me see. Okay, yes, two. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Corinth likes it. Yes, you know, so when, when you like a restaurant or a singer or a show, you can't help it but go tell your friends because you tell your friends in the hope that they will go and eat at that restaurant and listen to that singer and watch that show and come back to you and tell you, hey, I watched that show. I listened to that singer. I ate at that restaurant and you're so right. It's amazing. Now, sometimes you have to go back to your friend and tell them, hey, I watched that show and Dude, what happened? Like, I don't get that show at all. You're on probation when it comes to show recommendations, right? But that's the thing, right? Like, when you are able to, to share, to praise something that you're really into, it magnifies your joy. That's why we praise God, because as we praise Him, our joy deepens. You know, to not be able to praise would be like scoring a touchdown and having to go sit on the bench without making a sound. How sad is that? And so we praise God to deepen our joy, but we also praise God to awaken praise in others. We praise so that others will praise. I've noticed something in my children. Say we're watching, when we watch a documentary on how a movie was made, so like a behind the scenes kind of thing, the next day they're making a movie. Or when we watch a show about warriors, the next day my boy, when he was younger, he'd be in the backyard making weapons and shooting arrows. He did. Why is that? What did that in them? Praise did. Movie making was being praised, so they wanted to do that. Skilled fighting was being praised, so they wanted to do that. You see, praise begets praise. Praise awakens praise. And that's what God is saying to us through this psalm. I am healing you because I love you. Tell others. I'm being good to you because I love you. Tell others. And so when God is good to us and we experience that goodness, there should be a new song. There should be a testimony coming from us so that others can come and praise our God as well. Next, what do we testify to when we come together on Sundays? We testify that God multiplies favor. God multiplies favor. Up until now, the writer has been talking to us about God. Now he talks to God. Listen to verse 4. Or read it with me. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Quick pause here. There are so many lies that people have fallen captive to in our culture, that our culture wants to feed, force feed to our children or to our friends. And we have to be aware of that. Are we making the Lord our trust or are we going astray after lies? But look at what he does in verse 5. So he's talked to us about God. Now he turns and he talks to God. Verse 5, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. So here the writer is overwhelmed by God's goodness toward his people. He says, God, you've multiplied You've multiplied your deeds and your thoughts toward us. He says, and so I'm going to proclaim and tell of them, even though there are more of them than can be told. I've talked to people through the years who think that God has many thoughts and deeds, but not toward them, maybe toward others. They see God as stingy, as dis distant, as disinterested, as busy. And so maybe he loves some people, but just not them. 
And so it gives me a great opportunity to start talking to them about who God is and how he gave us Jesus and how he gave Jesus up for us. So I talked to them about how not only did God choose Israel and part the sea so they could leave Egypt, not only did he feed them in the desert with manna and give them their word, uh, his word, and make many eternal covenants and promises with them, but God also sent his son at just the right time for us so that we could receive forgiveness and become a part of God's family and be given a new heart where we know that God is God. And when you begin to know this, you start, when you start to know and to realize that God gave Jesus Christ for you, you start becoming aware of his generosity, how generous he is toward you. There's no higher gift he could have given you. No career, no car, no relationship, no life experience. There is nothing higher. Jesus is more than enough. And so you see, perhaps some of you have felt this way about God, that his thoughts are not many toward you. And I believe that you haven't seen God's goodness to you because you haven't believed God's goodness to you in Jesus Christ. You're waiting for something else. You want something else. But God doesn't have something else. What's he going to give you? A car? A woman? A man? He's already given you his son. How could any of those things compare to his son? But when Jesus becomes our joy, our light, our life, then the dam breaks. And we begin to see everywhere in our lives how God multiplies his grace and generosity to us. And that's my prayer for all of us, for all of you, that we would see that God is generous, that God is good to us. And because we see his goodness, we can't help but share it, even though his deeds and thoughts are more than can be told. Look at verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So now here, the writer does a word play with the word delight. So he's talking about the things that God does not delight in, which is sacrifices. Even though God himself instituted the animal sacrificial system. But again and again in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets, we read that a sacrifice that is offered to God without a heart of love, Love for God means nothing to God. In fact, it becomes repulsive to him. And so the writer says, you do not delight in sacrifices. And then he says, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Do you see what he's saying? What he's saying is, God, you do not delight in sacrifices and neither do I. What I delight in is doing your will from the heart. And this is so important. Let's go back to my opening illustration of the dinner gathering for the Morales family. This is central to who we are. We enjoy it. We prioritize it. We're so blessed to have these great cooks at home. Not me, but Anna and Rain and others are coming along. And, uh, but this is so important. But imagine if one of the children or one of the parents showed up to the dinner table all long-faced, preoccupied with our Facebook feed, and not talking to anyone, complaining about the food, what would that do for our enjoyment of the meal? It would ruin it. It would ruin it. You see, 
Some people come to church, perhaps some of you come to church, but your heart is not in it. Which is why we're doing this series to reinforce for all of us the reason we're here. Because at the end of the day, we must be able to say, oh Lord, I have come to do your will. I delight to do your will. And you tell us to not give up assembling together. And so here we are, and we're here to do your will from the heart. We do not come because it's what we're supposed to do. We come because our hearts prefer to do nothing else. This is the highest thing. This is the highest point of our week. And I pray and hope that that is the case for you. Now listen in verse 9 and on to the emphasis on testimony. Just see. See if you can hear it. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. That word great congregation translates the Hebrew kahal, which is in Greek ekklesia, which is from where we get our word for church in the New Testament. So he says, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great church, in the great congregation. Behold, I have now restrained my lips, as you know, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love. You know how we've been talking about God's steadfast love in the last few weeks, his hesed, his loving kindness? Well, here he says he has not concealed it or his faithfulness. From where? From the great congregation. Do you see that? Circle that. It's so important for us to know this is why we come to church, because we are to proclaim God's faithfulness and steadfast love in the great congregation, not just in the bathroom when we're by ourselves or in our living room. No, in the great congregation. Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will now restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So we gather to testify to God's deliverance. That's precisely what verse nine says, right? I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, Lord. What I want to draw your attention to is this interplay between the writer's expression, the psalm writer's expression of God's faithfulness and love and God's demonstration of his faithfulness and love. There's a reciprocal thing going on here. What has the writer done? He told us he has not hidden, he hasn't restrained, he hasn't concealed God's faithfulness and love from the great congregation. And what has God done? Verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Do you see that? You see this reciprocity, which is so beautiful? We can't restrain our testimony to God's goodness because God hasn't restrained his mercy toward us. As God multiplies favor to our lives, we multiply our testimony to his goodness. Did you know that there's more than one way to rob God? One of the ways that we rob God is with our money, right? Keeping to ourselves what belongs to God. Keeping to ourselves what should go to gospel work. That's one of the ways. But there's another tragic way that we rob God, and that is by not coming to church. Now, let me just say loud and clear that during this pandemic, I do believe that there are legitimate reasons some people are staying home. And you need to work that out between you and the Lord in your own conscience, okay? So please hear me say that. However, there are also many who miss church far too easily. Pre-COVID, because of sports, excessive travel, 
house projects or just plain laziness. And maybe you say, oh, I'm strong enough. I'll be there in a couple of weeks. I'll catch the podcast. But here's the thing. Here's what we miss when we are not here. What we miss is that we can't testify in the midst of the great congregation. You can't do that by yourself. We miss testifying to the greatness of God with the rest of the people here. When we are not here, we are hiding, concealing God's faithfulness and greatness to us. And so yes, there are legitimate reasons to not be a church, but please remember that testimony is one of the big reasons we come to church. Just your presence, okay? Just your presence where you're sitting right there. Or your presence, just where you're standing. It was so beautiful to just hear your voices today. Just that. Now, of course, you need to be here with faith, with smiles, with energy, with passion. But just your presence speaks volumes to the worth of our God. When I was 18 years old, I came to church for the first time. I did not grow, in, grow uh, going to church, did not grow up going to church. It was the first time that I came. And one of the first questions that I had as I came in was simply this. Who's there? Who's here? Who believes this stuff? And when I came and I saw people singing with all their hearts and praying and listening attentively to what was being preached, I, I thought, I've got to come back. I have to keep finding out what it is that they've seen that I haven't seen, what it is that they've learned that I haven't learned. Now, I also have to be honest, right? And it helped that there were many young, beautiful, godly women, my wife included, right? And so I thought, I've got to come back. The Lord is calling me, right? <laughs> but here's a question for all of us. Do you rob God by your sparse church attendance? Or is Sunday a day like no other in your family in your personal calendar if they did a social experiment and they tried to get rid of one day of the week would you say get rid of Monday who cares about Monday that's right Josh I'm with you get rid of even Friday get rid of Saturday for all I care but don't you dare touch Sunday Sunday's the day when we all come together to declare the greatness of our God in the midst of the great congregation. Is that what we believe? Now, let me talk to those of you who are staying home during COVID. Is the Lord keeping you home or are you keeping you home? Are you just afraid? Because remember that we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This has been a tough, tough year for the world and for the church, and we need you more than ever. So work that out between you and the Lord. Finally, pray that God would keep us testifying. Pray that God would keep us testifying. Look at verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in your, my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. 
But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. The psalm here takes an interesting turn because it goes from praise in the first half to petition in the second half. Usually psalms travel the other direction, from petition to praise. But I think that the psalm here is capturing something that is so essential in the Christian life, and that is that we do not go from height to height to height. I'm sure you've been here. Many times we go from a place of victory to a place of doubt. We go from height to loss. We go from deliverance to fear. And so what he's capturing for us here is the writer is saying that we will still testify that God will come to us and will rescue us one more time. And we need this always, right? Because we've had times when we've been able to, to see God answer our prayers in such intimate and desperate ways. But then we're back in the pits and doubt can assail us. And it's then that we need to be able to affirm, no, my God, I know who he is. My feet are firmly on the rock. My steps are secure. Look at verses 13 and 1. They essentially have the same petition, but there's a difference. Verse 13 says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Do you see? It's essentially the same petition. It's just that in verse 15, the answer is still future. Whereas in verse 1, the answer has already come. And so the psalm writer knows that God will be faithful again. And so he prays for us in verse 16. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. And so church, pray. Pray that God would keep you testifying. Pray that whatever comes your way, you will keep testifying. There are people that through the last few months have completely disengaged from anything religious, anything spiritual. And I pray for them. But you see, when hard times hit, that's when our faith is tested and revealed. And so we are to keep on testifying. Even if something that is so near and dear to our hearts, it's answered still in the future. We don't follow God so that things will go well for us. We follow God because things did not go well for Jesus on our behalf. Did you know that the writer of the letter to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus made use of this psalm, Psalm 40, during his life on earth to establish his superior sacrifice. So just listen to this passage from Hebrews. It's amazing. This is Hebrews 10, verse 5. The writer says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and here it's quoting Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure than I, Christ. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that was written about him. And then the writer of Hebrews says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. 
Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Isn't that glorious? The body of Jesus Christ was offered once and for all for our sins. All other sacrifices were ineffectual because it was the blood of animals, not the blood of the Son of God. All other sacrifices were inferior because the innermost desire to do God's will from the heart was often absent. But when Christ came in his body, he needed a body to be able to do this. When he came in his body, he said, behold, I have come to do your will, oh my God. If it crushes me, if it cuts my life short, if it exposes me to human shame and divine wrath, I have come to do your will. I have come to offer up my body to sanctify a people for you, oh my God. Church, this is why we're here. This is why we never stop being the church or assembling together. Because God has delivered us by the life, death, and resurrection of his son, his dear son, Jesus Christ. And we testify to the goodness of that deliverance. So make the Lord your trust. Do not turn aside to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And there are lies, so many of them that have taken so many captive today. Lies about gender identity. Lies about what makes us truly happy. Lies about the origin of the human race. On and on. Make the Lord your trust. And always. Always testify to his faithfulness and goodness in the midst of the great congregation. Amen. Let's pray. Yes, our God. What a pleasure it is, dear Lord, to come. To be able to stand here and declare your praise. We're going to do it in singing, but we're also doing it just by our presence, just by being here. Father, I pray that each one of us, those at home, those here, that we would have a greater conviction about declaring your praise in the midst of the assembly. Father, let us do it for the Christians in Beirut whose church buildings have been destroyed. Let us do it for the Christians in China whose government tells them they cannot, cannot meet let us do it for our Lord Jesus Christ, who when he was in the assembly of the hostile and corrupt Sanhedrin said, yes, I am, when they asked him whether he was the son of God. Father, I pray that each one of us would take seriously the charge you give to us to offer testimony to your goodness just by our presence in the midst of the assembly. I pray, Father, that those who up until now have made light of the gathering of the saints would be convicted in their souls by your Holy Spirit and decide no more. The world wants to silence the testimony to Christ and I will not stand for it any longer. I pray, God, that we would be set apart for our Lord. We love you, Jesus. 
we thank you for coming and taking on that body so that you could offer it up to do the will of God and sanctify for the Lord a people from every corner of the world. We love you. We worship you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.